Hey, just so you know, last Bible study is, is November 14th, and then 1st in January is November 16th. I'm expected to hear cheering when I said last, but anyway, last is the 14th. And you know, we're going to talk a little bit about, not you, you may not know why you are where you are, but be there, be there today. Um, because Joe and I, uh, for some reason, like the same restaurant, and we had lunch with our wives yesterday, and the head guy of the, of the restaurant, Michael, his uh, hilarious. He doesn't know that he wants the gospel. And he, he'll come up to the table like he did with us yesterday, and you and I are talking, and we're talking to him about the Lord and having fun and making him laugh, and he stays there just long enough and then gets somehow magically called back to the kitchen. Uh, but he kept coming back and coming back and coming back. There are people there, and, and Rosemary's got this ministry to waitresses, and this little waitress uh, who kept coming up to the table and um, and just enjoyed coming up to the table, and, and we talked to her about the Lord, and, and she came a little bit more, and then Rosemary finally invited her to church, and it took her a couple of months, but she t finally texted Rosemary and showed up at church at West Pines with Rosemary and her 12-year-old. She's there now. She's going to church there now. Uh, but here's a key. You've got to be a significantly good tipper because they're used to Christians not tipping well. And if you're a good tipper, let me say, find a single mom in the restaurant, and it's not hard, most of them are, and ask them a little bit about their life, and then all of a sudden invest in them. And I hope you have a waitress, doesn't have to be a single mom, and a waitress that you bless at Christmas, that you bless at Christmas, because it makes them more and more interested in a very greedy culture today. Why would you do that? For Christ, not for them. Yes. So, we're looking. We're still at the cross, and we're looking at an interesting. That and this is almost not possible to look at. This being his mom. Don't know if that actually happened, but when I saw that first slide, I thought I, I don't think I can park there. I, it's I got to read the verse, but the pain of what happened, what happened, what happened. Yeah. Well, this is what happened. I'm going to start in verse 23. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they divided his clothes among the four of them. They also took his robe, but it was seamless, uh, woven in one piece from the top. Uh, he, he said that was going to happen. He, he said that uh, actually in uh, 967 B.C., which is a thousand years ago, in Psalm 22. They divide, it, they divide, they divide my clothes among themselves and throw dice, cast, cast lots for my garments. Yeah. So, in verse 24, let's not tear it, uh, but throw, throw dice to see who gets it. This fulfilled the scriptures that said, they divided my clothes among themselves and threw dice for my robe, because it's valuable. The, one of the uh, byproducts of being at the crucifixion and having to do it, you get all the possessions the person has with them. They don't strip you down for any other reason than, I want the clothes, I want to sell the clothes. And a seamless... A uh, robe would be very, very valuable and very, very rare. It's all sewn from one fabric somehow. But standing there watching this. So that is what they did. Standing near the cross were Mary's mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. There would be four women and one man standing by the cross. The disciples are terrified and hiding. The man we know was John. And we know of the scene where Jesus looks from the cross and says, Son, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. In other words, John, I'm handing my mom off to you. 
I know you guys don't get it, but I'm handing my mom off to you. He, he, as the oldest in the family, he's got several, several brothers. Um, as the oldest in the family, uh, it was his responsibility. Obviously, Joseph was dead, his, his, his earthly father. And so he hands them off. And they have to be there watching this, these four women. Uh, four very, very, very different women. Uh, his mother, uh, his mother's sister, who we know her name. Uh, some women, some women were there watching from a distance, including Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, uh, the younger of Joseph, and Salome. So his, her sister is Salome. And then it goes on to say in Matthew 27, 56, among them, among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, uh, Zebedee's wife, and the mother of James and John, Salome. We know to be Salome. What are they doing there? I say it's dangerous to be there. And the disciples were hiding because they knew that the temple was going to try to wipe out all his followers. What are they doing? This is just unbelievable. Yeah. In Matthew 20, 20, then the mother of James and John, uh, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectfully uh, to ask a favor. What is your request? He asked. And she replied, in your kingdom, will you let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one at the right and one at the left, which is a really big ask. When you take over, because we all know you're going to take over. We all know you're going to become king of Israel. It's so obvious. And the Pharisees know. Everybody knows. Will you be on either side? Well, there, there were people on either side of the cross. But Jesus told them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of sorrow? I am about to drink. Oh, yes, they replied. We're able. And now they're there. This is just days later. And now they're there seeing, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. We don't know what's going on today. You don't know what's going on in your life today. It's so helpful to know he knows. Now, with my OCD, it would really help if he texted me in the morning, this is your day today. Instead, he says, this is the day I've made Rejoice that I've made you a day. Rejoice and be glad in it. But Bob, you get so calculated in your day and make every 30 minutes count that you walk by stuff. And I, I, I had to learn. Um, unfortunately, I have to come from the other end of the building to go into this kitchen here to get coffee, and there's always something going on in the lobby. And I, I remember saying to Benetta once, I'd just like to go outside the building come in another door, get my coffee, go outside the building. Can I talk to you for a minute? Go outside. And, and she says, well, do you, did you ever think that you get so bogged down being in control of your schedule that God has to push people in your face? Which I hate when she does that, to tell you the truth. And, and, and the number of things that have happened in the lobby here are amazing. The old man that came in blind and asked me to pray with him that I knew I recognized, and it was the owner of the old hard drives company, and the old man that, so I'm taking him into my office to pray with him, and I'm thinking, I really, really, really don't have time for this. My, I mean, I had my Christian face going, um, but Jesus knew my, my not Christian heart. Really? Do you not know I'm busy? And take him in, and we're praying, and uh, uh, as we're praying, we finish, and he's, his driver's waiting for him, and he says, uh, what can I do for Sheridan House? I knew I recognized this guy. 
what kind of insurance? And I said, uh, well, I mean, there's lots of things you can do. What would you like to do? And he said, well, next month I'm going to give you a check for $1 million. And then he says, I wish I could see your face right now. <laughs> <laughs> Big smile. But that wasn't it. The, the face was the face of, Je of Jesus looking up and down at the angels. He almost blew this. Because he's so busy and important. Yeah. He almost blew this. Biggest, biggest, biggest ever. He almost blew this. Yeah. These ladies show up. I don't think they know why they show up. But we've got his mother standing there. I, I can't imagine the pain. And we've got his mother's sister standing there. And the thing I like about her, she's correctable. She, she's the one who came. Can my son sit on you? No. You have no clue what you're asking. And then we've got an apparent nobody. Nobody can tell us who Mary, the wife of Kloppis, is. No, none of the commentaries can tell us. But then we've got Mary Magdalene, who was the one who was, was healed of, of seven demons. Wow. Wow. The women represent what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Just show up. Just show up. You know, it, it's interesting because there was a time in church where you took spiritual gift inventories. Uh, to see what your gift is. And what happened is, you could take a spiritual gift inventory and decide, okay, that's not my gift. This is my gift. This is what I should do. Sharing the gospel is not my gift. Talking to people is not my gift. Service is my gift. And it became, we realized it became a spiritual excuse inventory. He wants you to do what you're, out, what you're not comfortable with. He wants you risking. It's me telling the board of directors in 1974, I'm just here to work with the boys like I did for the state of Florida. I won't be speaking in public ever. I won't be raising money ever. Uh, this is what I'm here to do. And that's when the angels must have looked and said, well, he doesn't have a clue what he's going to be doing. <laughs> but because if, if I knew, I wouldn't have done it. I'm, that's not my job, not my job. And the first time I spoke in public, threw up in the parking lot. Yeah, not my job. Second time I spoke in public, it was to an organization called Parents Without Partners, uh, which was the worst name for an organization. It was all these these uh, single, single parents. I was supposed to speak at their Christmas banquet for uh, 40 minutes, and I finished, and I'm sitting next to Rosemary, and I said, did I go too fast? She said, well, you spoke under 15 minutes. It was really, really fast, um, and I was just that fearful. He knows. They don't know why they're here. They're just showing up. That's what we need to do with every single day. A disciple is willing to put self aside and serve Christ. I'm too busy to do this. No, put self aside and serve Christ. What would you have me do? What would you have me do? Yeah, it's Luke 22, 42. Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. This is Jesus in the garden. <clears throat> Yet I want your will, not mine. It's the disciples out fishing, and Jesus is up against, up against the Sea of Galilee. They're up the mountains. They're out fishing. You fish the Sea of Galilee at night. That's when you fish it. So he's obviously speaking early in the morning. And it says, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, he'd all, Simon had, had pulled in with his boat, and they were cleaning their nets in this passage. It's a great scene. And I know that Peter, I don't know anything, but I know that Peter had to say to John, John, don't make eye contact with him. We've got to finish our work here. Don't make eye And so Jesus steps over and says, can I can I?" They're crowding me. Can I get in your boat and push out a little bit? It's such a great scene. And so it's, uh, it's I got to be Peter looking at John going, oh, I told you not to look at him. Now, now, now we're going to be here hours. And so Jesus pushes out, 
finishes speaking. When he finished, it says, when he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Vintage Simon in, in verse 5. Simon asked, Master, we worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. By the way, Master, do you see anybody fishing out there right now? There's nobody out there. What is it about you pastors that think you know something about everything? Stop. And several commentators think this next part of this verse is sarcastic. I don't know that. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. But because nevertheless, at your bidding, one says, I will let down the nets. And they put out, and they have such a big catch, they can't pull it into the boat. And they realize we've seen a miracle here today. It's in, and, and we were talking a little bit ago about taking time. We're so busy that his still small voice, and then sometimes he has to scream. Sometimes he has to put something in front of us. I got this. I got this. You're falling asleep at night worrying about this. I got this. I got this. Stop. Do the little things in front of you. And you've heard me say this before. I held up the growth of Sheridan House for eight years because I was going to make it happen. And we had one little house in Hollywood. We had four employees. The annual budget was 49000 And we were gasping. And I was making this decision. Rather than just do what's in front of you to do, Bob. And when some things happen, and I realize, okay, I can't, I can't. My priority needs to be Rosemary. I can't keep working 12 and 14-hour days and leaving her home alone. Again, we were a seven-day program then, not a five-day. I can't. And it's almost like I let go, and the very first thing uh, that happens when I really recommit my life um, and our 23 or 24-year-old truck breaks down, and I remember walking around the province going, property, really, this is what we pick up groceries in. Really. And that week, Norm Evans and Vern Denherder from the Dolphins come over and uh, say, do you need anything? And I say, what does that mean? Because nobody did that back then. Well, what do you need? I said, I need a pickup truck. And Vern Denherder says, oh, I do the commercials for whoever it is, Chrysler in, in Hollywood. I'll get you a truck. Brand new truck. Bob, I got this. You're in the way. Plus, you're a micromanager. Plus, you actually think you know what you're doing. <laughs> Stop. Minister to people, son. Minister to people. The disciples, a disciple must be teachable, even correctable, Ooh, even rebukable. Oh. Matthew 16, 21. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that he had to go to Jerusalem, and he told them what would happen when he got there, that he would suffer at the hands of the leaders and the leading priests and teachers of religious law. He would be killed, and he would be raised on the third day. Peter took him aside. Is this amazing? There'll be a time in Peter's life, I cannot believe how many times I interrupted God. When Jesus is teaching the Sermon on the Mount, and Peter gets taps him on the shoulder and says, you know, you've been teaching a long time and these people here are hungry. Uh, send them to town to get something to eat and Jesus is so awesome. You feed them. It would take a small fortune. Give me what you got. Find some food. A boy's fishes and loaves, feeding 5,000 men plus all the women plus all the children. That, that, that can still happen. 
And can I say that can still happen in America? Can I say that can still happen personally? He's waiting for us to believe at that level. Peter took him aside and corrected him. Heaven forbid, Lord. I can't even believe he said that. This will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get thee behind me, Satan. Pretty powerful rebuke. Get thee behind me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's. Then Jesus said to the disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must put aside selfish ambition. Shoulder your cross and follow me. And follow me. Yeah, the corrections of Jesus are not rejections. They're for perfection. They're for perfection. So, new staff member, and uh, she's walking out to get the mail, uh, and and uh, I drive by her on the way out and let her walk out to get the mail, and I come back and I go up to her and say, I'm sorry I didn't pick you up for that little drive. And she said, I know, I know, I read the manual. I read the manual. I said, I don't let any women in my car. I mean, if it's multiple, two, three, fine. Um, if not, I don't want to start a rumor. And she said, uh, did something happen? And I said, yeah. When we were building our very first children's home, the elect- electrician, uh, Ed, came to Christ when we were building the home. Uh, we went out, and I was talking with him, and talking with him, and he came to Christ. And then that Christmas, uh, we, we had a flight attendant who used to live with us. Uh, she was a flight attendant and, did their, and a model and did their commercials. And she was Rosemary's best friend. Name was Lucy, and Lucy lived with us. And Lucy was at dinner. She wasn't with us a lot. Um, she, at, at dinner, she um, heard Rosemary and I laughing about how pathetic my Christmas gifts are. You know, utilitarian German, uh, vacuum cleaner. You know, <laughs> cool utility. And Lucy comes to me and says, "Can I take? You? We didn't have kids yet. Can I take you shopping for Rosemary for Christmas?" And I said, I know I need help, let's do it. So we went to the just opened Broward Mall and buying all kinds of cool things for Rosemary. And we're sitting in Hands, whatever it's called, having lunch, and Ed, Ed walks in. And I'm sitting there with somebody who's a blonde, obviously not my wife. And he walks in and he looks over and he turns around and walks out. And so I know what he's thinking. I walk out there and I said, this is my wife's best friend. She's helped me Christmas shop. And he just looks at me like, yeah, done. And then I got a hold of the Billy Graham Association to see what's Billy's rules. Oh my goodness. He wouldn't even walk into a motel, hotel room until somebody walked in first and made sure it was clear. Yeah, no wonder he was such a great man. Yeah, perfection, because the world is looking at us. The world is looking at us. It's, and it's unbelievable how they can concoct things like Ed did, just to justify his own behavior. Why does your need for correction surprise you? Why does it irritate you? Any thoughts on that? Why do, not yours, everybody here is awesome. But why does some people's need for correction um, irritate them? When they know cor- it all. I'm sorry? They know it all. Yes. Yes, that would be you, yes. Pride. Pride. I don't think, yeah. I don't think we have to go much far, further than pride. And, and we don't really know each other. We kind of know each other. You know, it's not like the old days when you sat out on your porch and people came walking by and sat on your porch with you and there wasn't any television. Everybody knew everybody. Every farmer helped every farmer. And you, you kind of knew everybody's stuff. 
Oh, it's like Latins. You kind of know everybody's stuff in your family anyway. Kind of know everybody's stuff. And the bottom line, we don't know anybody's stuff anymore. And since air conditioning, we actually close the windows. So we don't hear anybody yelling and screaming. And all of a sudden, my pastor comes up uh, in the early days when, when he called. Well, he would call me and say, Robert, I knew when he called me, Robert, I, I'm going to hear something. Can we get lunch? And I'd be sitting across the table from Bill Billingsley correcting me on something. Um, and uh, today, as I look back, wow, that was wonderful in my life to have a mentor. And finally, to the point where I could ask questions. Yeah, they're standing by the cross, don't know why we're here, but I think Mary Magdalene, for instance, unbelievable gratitude healed me of seven demons. Unbelievable gratitude. Unbelievable. We were, we were laughing, and somebody asked me, um, before you came to Christ, what did you want to be? And I said, you know, it's funny you ask that, because my sophomore year of college, um, at the end of my sophomore year, I got kicked out. Uh, for low grades and, and behaviors and my dad I uh, wasn't living at home anymore and my dad I would come to get my mail and my dad was up in his big study and he, I heard him open the windows and I'm trying to get to my car before he calls me back <laughs> he said I got the same letter come on in and thought oh geez so I go on in and uh, he says uh, so why do you think this happened and I told him I was drinking way too much and and, and re really hanging with my fraternity and going to bed at 1 in the morning and not getting up for my 8 a.m.s and blah, blah, blah. He said, so what are we going to do about this? And when he said, what are we going to do? I was shocked. And I said, I don't know. And he said, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm getting you a plane ticket. Uh, Open-ended. You're flying. You know, we lived in Washington, D.C. You're flying to Knoxville. Uh, and get back in. Don't come back. Don't come back till you get back in. And sat there two days, and the boys' dean didn't want to meet with me. Uh, the girls' dean met with me, and and just started mentoring me and talking with me and, and, and changed my life. Got back and had a three-point-something for the rest of my time there and, and, and realized Jesus didn't want me staying up till 1 a.m. Getting, getting blitzed. He actually wanted me reading my books and studying, uh, which was a novelty for me. And look what you've done, Lord. Look where I get to work. Look what you've done. A disciple of Jesus Christ must understand the overwhelming depth of gratitude he owes to Jesus for what he has done for us personally and what it cost Christ personally. The cost. The cost is unbelievable. But what he has done. Yeah, in Luke 17, 12, as he entered a village, there were ten lepers uh, stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. He looked at them and said, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, their leprosy disappeared. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, Praise God, I'm healed. He fell face down on the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan of all things. Jesus, Jesus asked, Didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Does only this foreigner return to give glory to God. And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Wow, don't you want to know what he did for the rest of his life? What ministry that, that God gave him after the healing for the rest of his life? But there's a big picture here. You haven't done squat. It's all him in you. You, you, you could be living in Afghanistan today. It's not like in heaven you're about to be born and Jesus says, I want to give you an op. Where would you like to be born and grow up? Uh, you know what? 
It has to start with A. Albania, Afghanistan, America. Where would you like to be born? No. To hand us this country to live in? And some of you have been in other countries and no. I have to decide all in. I belong. I belong to you. And I'm grateful that I belong to you. A disciple of Jesus shows up and shows whose he is. Who, whose am I? I belong to God. So these four ladies, they show up. Mary gets handed off to her new son, John. You know what else is amazing? They show up at the tomb. And while they're walking to the tomb, they're actually discussing the obstacle. What are we going to do about the stone? There's a huge stone there. But they kept walking. They didn't look at each other and say, this is not possible. If all things really are possible with Christ Jesus, I guess the question we have to ask ourselves, are we risking impossible things for his glory? Are we risking way... I, I don't think so. Not me, anyway. Billy Graham, maybe. And honestly, when Billy Graham and you were there, came to Lockhart Stadium, and you came to Christ then, didn't you? Yes. When Billy Graham came, and Harry, I was there watching you walk out onto that stadium. And, and when, I, when he finished his message, I didn't say anything out loud. It's the only time I'd ever heard Billy Graham live, and I thought to myself, that's it? It was very unimpressive. And then I see a friend go forward. And then hundreds go forward. And I know God wanted to say, it's not with slick words, Bob. He's all in. Billy is all in. Yeah, these women, we don't know why we're here at the cross, at the bottom line. We love him. We don't know what he's going to do. And they get, because they showed up, they get to be the first ones to see him and run back to tell the men. Yeah, we learn from the women at the cross what it takes to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ, a focus on, a focus on Christ and Christ alone. Period. End of story. On Christ, rebuked, whatever. A focus on Christ and Christ alone. Nothing more. That's what we're called to. Now we can decide. You know, I get that in the big today, not the big picture, not sometime. I just want to focus as I go through my day that I think I scheduled. I want to focus on you, Lord. What would you have me do? What would you have me give? Who would you have me talk to? Who would you have me come alongside? Who would you have me look at and and realize? Hey, are you okay? For the glory of God. For the glory of God. It's the story of the little boy's first... No, it's the story of the little boy's graduation valedictorian. Um, true story. And he was valedictorian. In his valedictorian speech, he talks about coming home from school during the first week of school and, uh, and so depressed. And another kid across the street uh, sees him and walks across and talks to him as they're walking home uh, together and says, hey, you want to play video games on Saturday to this little boy, uh, middle schoolers? And he says at his graduation speech, Eric, when you came, what you didn't know is I was going home to commit suicide. Mm. Mm. You don't know. Reach out for Christ's sake.